0: hallucinations. And before that, it was the fundraiser. And thank you, thank you, thank you, all those of you who subscribed. God, it amazes me how many people are willing to subscribe to KPFA to pay for something that they could get for free. Oh, I guess some people still operate on the honor system. We couldn't do it without you. <laughs> I, I go through agonies of guilt all the letters that I didn't answer, messages lost. I just I just saved a little pile of letters. I was trying to excerpt them this morning, but you know, they can't aid my homework. I can't find them, so help me God. Uh, I think maybe, maybe it's time for me to get organized. My favorite expression lately, it's the Brits. Yes, they always say, we've got to get that sorted. Every day I get up and I say, I've got to get these things sorted. Uh, Like hell, I I don't think it's going to happen, people. Um, I had so many things the last couple of weeks that uh, I'm completely, what do you call that, Uh, uh, it's all scattershot. uh, The first thing I do need to do, I know I'll forget if I don't tell you right away, it's all about the... uh, Occupy Wall Street Movement. Now, I've been trying to get, uh, feedback on a website. It's called GlobalRevolution.tv. Uh, there's a guy there called Vlad Teichberg. That's spelled V-L-A-D. That's his first name. Second name is Teichberg, T-E-I-C-H-B-E-R-G. You can read about him in the New Yorker, the Halloween New Yorker, 31 October 2011, in the Talk of the Town. Um, His website, globalrevolution.tv, is um, all about uh, uh, the brave new world that we're out (laughs) there organizing. All I could think of to do last time I stop by, take a a box of plastic bags. That's my favorite. I used to uh, talk to the people who were camping out here in Berkeley and uh, we talked about the importance of keeping your socks dry. Yes, keep your feet dry and your warm socks. That's the most important thing on a day-to-day basis if you're going to get out there and protest, especially because we're going to, have some rain soon. Anyway, this guy, Vlad Teekberg, has a video feed. Yes. Let's see. Live coverage of the populist protests. Right. Um, <laughs> as he says, the revolution will not be televised, it'll be on the internet. His t shirt reads, I am a revolting citizen. Um, now, Says here that the revolution is being streamed from a dilapidated second-story office in NoHo. It's, uh, let's see, the space is being leased from the A.J. Must Institute, M.U.S.T.E., a pacifist organization. They bought the building in 1974. They're the ones leasing this space to Global Revolution. Global Revolution is uh, defined in The New Yorker as a nascent media collective. They pay about $400 per month. Anyway, uh, check it out if you can. Um, The rest of the piece in The New Yorker pretty much just talks about the folks they've had on. Naomi Klein, you know, she's the critic of corporate globalization, um, they show Naomi Klein addressing a rally in San Francisco. Occupation is not a place. It is a state of mind. While that uh Naomi Klein clip aired, someone entered the studio with footage of Naomi Wolf. She's the feminist writer, you know. She had just been arrested in an evening dress. Aha. Uh-huh. Anyway global revolution brands itself as non-hierarchical, but the person in charge does seem to be this Vlad Teekberg, a 39-year-old former derivatives trader. Last week he said the building's owners should have known this would happen when they invited us, because uh, we have sort of occupied the space. <laughs> anyway, this piece goes on to describe the, uh, Oh, the scene, um... Says here, two weeks ago, the group was frustrated with the amount of equipment they were losing to theft and rain. That's when they moved to no Ho. The studio is a riot of wires, taped to walls, bins of battery chargers, laptops everywhere. There's a to-do list on a whiteboard, including items... <laughs> Uh, ...make info tutorial primers... ...about live streaming... ...on and on and on... Uh, ...all the good problems we need to solve... ...anyway... ...this guy, Vlad Teakberg... ...was born in Moscow... He moved to Queens with his parents... ...when he was ten... ...oh, a Princeton boy... ...attended Princeton... ...and wrote his thesis... ...on number... <laughs> ...number theory... ...then he headed to Wall Street... ...anyway... Apparently, he's gotten over that. He said, I thought globalization was going to create equality around the world. Oh, what a sweet guy. Anyway, after 9-11, his views changed. Mm Mm-hmm. He understood that, um, well, you know, he saw that our government politicized 9-11, used it to start wars, that Patriot Act and everything. It was obvious we were heading down the wrong path, so he left finance, helped found the grassroots media collective, and poured his savings into the resistance. Anyway, as he sees it, he is fueling the global revolution that started on December 17th in Tunis. Right, okay. Uh, In New York, he says he's building, uh, well, he's, he calls it camera Kalishnikovs. He's preparing for the American occupation. On the other hand, uh, I read in this article, uh, charming that he's got a he's got a wife, expecting their first child, and there they are, hmm in this uh, building. It says they were married seven weeks ago at Burning Man. The Reverend Billy officiated. She insists I sleep at home every night, which is causing some friction, Teekberg said. Anyway, he says that uh, the video is a check against police brutality. If everyone is watching, the state can't just crush people. He says that's what kept Tahrir Square from turning into Tiananmen. Uh, they knew people were paying attention. Anyway, he and his cohorts buy cheap used computers on the Internet, fix them up and send them to occupations around the country. Uh, I just have a picture of this guy living in a squat with this pregnant wife. Uh, anyway, the baby's due on June 17th. I guess he says she was conceived on the second night of the Zuccotti Park occupation. He says it must have been then, because we really haven't had time for that before or since. That's cute. He has admitted that a squat may not be an ideal home for a baby, but he has no long-term plan, and his savings are gone. Neither you nor his wife is working. Maybe this video thing will take off, he said. (laughs) You can... You can find the piece on Vlad in the uh, October 31st, The New Yorker in the Talk of the Town. I just love that. Uh, I, uh, as I say, I, I think if, if we would all just get a box and put in some duct tape and anything you've got around the house that you think would help out. Um, tents. Who's in charge of tents? I keep trying to figure out. You know what's the what's the what's the list of priorities folks what's the pri- priority here i always think the main thing is to keep warm but that's just because because i'm an elder and i just worry about everybody catching these god-awful bugs please 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 take care remember that the flu um kills a hell of a lot more people than uh just about anything else kids uh I don't know why everybody I know is always uh coughing especially here in uh in this season, and they always act as if it uh it's just uh, what do you call uh something they have to live through instead of something that they really should uh try to cope with uh, i uh got up late last night and I'd been listening to the radio and uh, I got a little grim I think it was when I heard that Dr. Conrad Murray had been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and I found myself wringing my hands again about the ways in which one way or another this culture seems to devour its artists and children I was looking out over the the kids uh, occupying, yes, occupying <laughs> the financial district. I I remember Christmas as we used to walk through the financial district in San Francisco. Christmas morning, it's empty. I loved it empty. You know, that would be fun. You know, nowadays, of course, maybe this Christmas, if we go down there on the morning of the 26th, the scene will be something entirely different, but uh I just kept thinking that, This verdict... (laughs) In the death of Michael Jackson... It's just one more ambiguous, aching kind of irony... One more cry for meaning, you know... uh, What is this vain hope that justice is, is obtainable... That we can put things right, yes... Who killed Michael Jackson... Who let him die? Where was the nurse? Yes. Where was the 24-7 caregiver? The person obviously called for. uh, My God, if they... As somebody said, if they're not going to take care of Michael Jackson, what's going to happen to the rest of us? Uh, Who neglects the artists? Who kills them, these poets? Um, These special people and just... Just... All of us, these these archetypes, they're the ones who get the attention, the media focus. That's when we notice how hard it is to, what is it, uh, to take care of one another. You remember T.S. Eliot used to say, teach us to care and not to care. I could stand just some ordinary old-fashioned chicken soup behavior on the part of friends and neighbors, but... Those people, the, the artists there are demigods, are dreamers, who killed Norma Jean, you remember the song, who killed Elvis, who killed Janice, Bob Marley, surely now he, he, I think killed himself, but I, I'm not too sure, of course. Marilyn Monroe calling up Peter Lawford, but He wasn't about to come over there. At least he didn't get there in time. Didn't get there at all. Uh, Peter Lawford's last wife always tells the story of his guilt after the fact, you know. Elvis Presley and Janis Joplin. Kind of people who, well, if nothing else, they were making so much money, you would think they'd be surrounded by support systems. People caring for them, looking out for them. I've got your back, you know. If for nothing else, just for the sake of a job. Uh, The uh, celebrities, the uh, artists in our culture, their industries, their special talents, you know, just create corporations. Marilyn Monroe was this Aphrodite archetype. She had reached her late 30s, my God. She named her little home there, Journey's End. She called it 36, I think. I remember reading her autopsy here on KPFA. Um, She had, you know, gained a pound and a half, and she thought her number was up. She was calling Bobby Kennedy, getting the brush off. (laughs) So many stories from her friends about calling and woman answering the phone and telling her to get lost. Anyway, uh, yes, then, who was it I thought of the other night? Maria Collis, in that Paris apartment. Uh, she was in her fifties by then, but watching Aristotle Onassis, uh, <laughs> trying to keep Jackie, Jackie Kennedy home, yes. She was just a New Yorker. She didn't want to really hang out with him Uh, Maria Collis, on the other hand truly loved uh, Onassis it's all such grand opera I love it Uh, Elvis now Elvis Presley loved his mother but of course she died as did his twin brother his second self twin dying in the womb I think it was All this mortality, immutability, invulnerability. What a profound thing is the life of any human being. Each existence is just so amazing. And I, I think of these, the ones we select to symbolize, symbolize the grand passions, the... The, uh, what do you call that, the exotic existences, um, I think of them as voices, the voices that once were in their mouths, um, so many of those we can keep now, what with all this technology we can keep them forever, those voices crying out to us, uh. Edith Pioff, the little French sparrow, that little broken bird, born under a lamppost, legend. Yes, I remember carrying her with me through years of romantic ups and downs. She did all the suffering for me, I thought, of course I thought it was me suffering, but <laughs> she was doing all the work, that's the alchemy of art. I guess we need these archetypes, I, I don't know what else to call them, demigods, I suppose, projections, uh, they call them the stars, those who synthesize all the pain and poetry of individual lives, they, they, uh, they have the magic, the magic of being, I suppose, spirit is made manifest, In the flesh, I can always feel the rush of emotion, that welling up, you know, vast seas of sorrow. And then, of course, we make our own little songs and dance on. What a privilege to be one of those chosen to personify the big emotions, to represent uh, represent universal feelings. When I watch an artist... Oh, when I saw Michael Jackson dance, uh, I thought, sure, he he is the man in the mirror. <laughs> he as well as all of us. Uh, at the same time, he's just one of us, poor guy. What a shame. On the oh-so-human level, I kept thinking, where the hell was his mother? What do I know? I'm sure Michael Jackson's mother would have been there at his side. If he called her up on the phone, I'm sure. See, Marilyn's mother went to the bug house. Edith Piaf's mom, let's see. She uh, lived in a brothel. There were so many other women there. Women surrounding Edith Piaf as a little girl. They cared for her when she went blind as a kid. She had a bad infection, conjunctivitis, I guess. She was cured of her blindness after a religious pilgrimage, I think. Oh, yeah, that was the 20th century, folks. Uh, think of Richard Pryor's mother, grandmother, working out of brothels, the ultimate masochist, yes, Billie Holiday, living the hard, hard life. Her initiation was, of course, the, the formula, rape, soul murder, the things that break so many women... Not all, not all, of course. The 21st century promises so much healing. We've got Oprah Winfrey winning all the prizes. So far, think of Maya Angelou transcending her tragedies. Everywhere we see the post-mortems, the rewrites, the blame, the shame. I keep thinking that maybe, just maybe that 21st century will see a little less of the blame and the shame. Uh, Maybe that's a good thing, maybe not. If the tale of the Jackson family is a Greek tragedy, the the quintessential dysfunctional family, that five-act drama, if it is the story of Western civilization in our age... Can it be that maybe we know enough, understand enough by now, to cut to the chase to stop some of this damage before the child and the artist is eaten alive? I think of the Irish custom giving the child to a second family to raise, uh, the Brehen laws they were called. It was not not uh, total removal, not adoption, just kind of a backup family, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> We did that in my home, yes. Mm, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, described the custom whereby some children, she was uh, uh, out there in the islands, Pacific Islanders. Uh, Where was she? In Indonesia, I think. Anyway, she said very often the children were uh, allowed to live with aunts and uncles if things were not going so well at home. Uh, Something a little casual. Uh, she, she liked the idea, but she also liked the intensity that came with our incestuous nuclear families. Uh, I think that letting the child follow his feelings is a good idea. Uh, I like family setups in which the child can feel at home, say, with maybe an older sibling. Uh, I think that works, but, uh, I just remember several times finding myself in that arrangement i was always sorry as hell when i had to return um my father would remarry and i was sent back to the the, the, the nuclear household yes my best years actually were spent with the uh, renegade friends that i knew uh, when my mother was alive the uh, uh what I would call the surrogate mothers. Uh, They were my family. Uh, Even when I had to go home to Daddy, I wonder if Michael Jackson ever found his family. I like to imagine... I would like to imagine him with Elizabeth Taylor hanging out, out in the other world. They were very close for all sorts of reasons. I just think of the crowd at Elizabeth Taylor's palace in the netherworld. Richard Burton held at bay, you know, when he's had too much to drink, but loved and cared for all the same. Roddy McDowell there and several of the gay actors that Elizabeth was pals with, they would distract um, Burton, you know. Rock Hudson, Montgomery Clift, all Elizabeth Taylor's real friends. Uh, (laughs) It was a... Hell of a Halloween this year, I thought about all of my dear, dead, dead ones, yes, Um, my dead dears, all those far out ghosts of yesteryear, Uh, the 31st of October was the date that um, the human population of this earth reached 7 billion, that was the date picked by the United Nations' Population fund. I guess they picked Halloween for the fun of it. Um, All Souls Day the next day. (laughs) I like to read a sonnet series at midnight on the 31st of October each year. It's Edna St. Vincent Millay's epitaph for the race of man. It's the most cheerful spin on our species that I can imagine. Uh, I wanted to, before I tell you about Edna Millay's sonnet sequence let me check for you the uh, the numbers I had them here somewhere the uh, the wonderful numbers Uh, the 7 billion people (laughs) right 7 billion can you imagine can you imagine a planet with 7 billion people on it Uh, yes I I think it's more important to remind everybody I was listening to the doctor on the program before this, and uh, uh, I think I need to to, uh, echo some of what he said. (laughs) Yes, Uh, around 10,000 years ago, there were maybe 5 million people on earth, and then... By the time of the first dynasty in Egypt, that number was up to about 15 million, and by the time of the birth of Christ, it was somewhere in the vicinity of 200 million. Okay, global population reached a billion around 1,800, got that? After Thomas Malthus published that famous essay, you know, warning that the number's would always be held in check by war pestilence and inevitable famine you know four horsemen of the apocalypse uh things went off the chart uh population took off uh we weren't killed off by well the horsemen weren't tough enough uh population hit 2 billion in the 1920s Ah, not long after that, I was born. Imagine, how could the world get old faster than I did? Anyway, 1922 billion, 3 billion by 1960. 1968, Paul Ehrlich published The Population Bomb, predicting the imminent deaths of hundreds of millions of people from starvation. Right, when he did that, Population was about three and a half billion. Became politically incorrect to talk about birth control because uh, those of us who are, well, technically white folks, uh, Euro-Americans, it was considered racist to promote birth control. Mm, Very interesting. Population has been growing at the rate of a billion people every 12 or 13 years. You got that? According to the United Nations, the six billion number was October 12, 1999. That was a baby boy born in uh, oh, Sarajevo, right. They designated that child the six billionth person. The seven billionth was a little girl in the Philippines. Wasn't she cute? Anyway, I saw her picture on television. <laughs> anyway, um... I, I love this. I love this. More bacterial than primate is a description of the pattern of human population growth. My God! Predicting where the numbers will go from here is at least pretty straightforward. Fourteen years from now, folks, there will be eight billion people on the planet. At the same time, India will overtake China as the most populous nation on earth. <laughs> Proportionally, Europe's population will decline while Africa's will increase. I've got to get off the air, boys and girls. I wish I had time to read you Edna St. Vincent Millay's Epitaph for the Race of Man. I think it's the most cheerful poem I know. I'll have to save it for next time. This has been Jennifer Stone. Uh, I will be back on the air God is willing. Next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, easy go as easy as you can. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light.